Hello, divers. Coming to you from Studio D, this is the Deep Dive Microcast, a brief look into things I find interesting, and I hope you do too. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, ketchup bottle collector, and writer for Wang's Chop Movie Magazine. On this edition of the Microcast, we dive into what is now considered to be something of a subaquatic scandal that ultimately proved to be all wet. The big problem with The Little Mermaid's promotional artwork. Wouldn't it be amazing to discover someplace no one's ever seen before? Really? I would love to see that. This Friday. Ariel, wait for me! The Wonder. Isn't it beautiful? The magic. She belongs to me. The adventure. Give me your hand! Experience it all in 3D. What are we waiting for? Let's go! Disney's The Little Mermaid. Rated PG in theaters Friday. On May 25th, 2023, Walt Disney Studios will release their long-awaited live-action remake of the classic animated masterpiece, The Little Mermaid. The new production, starring singer and songwriter Haley Bailey as Ariel and Melissa McCarthy as the villainous Ursula, is expected to make a significant splash at the box office. As with other recent remakes of Disney classics like Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King, the new mermaid has generated both positive and negative reactions from those who have yet to even see any significant footage from the film. But in the case of the Little Mermaid remake, some of that criticism has come in the form of some not-so-subtle racist comments about the casting of Bailey, a young black woman, as Ariel. Thankfully, those intolerant voices will no doubt be, pardon another aqueous pun, drowned out by the amazing vocal talents of Bailey herself. The 1989 film adaptation of Hans Christian Andersen's 1837 fairy tale about a young mermaid who yearns to become human is considered the first film in what's been referred to as the Disney Renaissance. What exactly does that mean? Well, it refers to a period in the history of Walt Disney Animation Studios, spanning from the late 1980s to the mid-1990s, characterized by a creative resurgence and successful commercial run of animated feature films. How did the Disney Renaissance come about? Well, from the 1970s and into the early 1980s, Disney's animated films faced a decline in critical and box office success. Films like 1970's The Aristocats and 1985's The Black Cauldron failed to resonate with audiences, leading to financial losses. To revitalize the studio, management changes were made and a new focus on storytelling and quality animation was emphasized. Now, I can already hear rumbling from some listeners about the animated film that was released a year prior to The Little Mermaid. Walt Disney Pictures presents the movie that's doggone fun for everyone. And I want to see some action. It's got action. It's got surprises. It's got an alien. Who's 
Pussycat, come on, let's see them. It's got to be the movie to see. I love a story with food in it. Only in theaters, it's Disney's all-new, all-fun animated adventure. I always get my fuzzy end of a lollipop. Oliver and Company, rated G. Now playing at a theater near you. Check newspaper for showtimes. I'm sorry to inform you that 1988's Oliver and Company, despite being a pretty good movie and coming from the same animation team, does not qualify. End of story. The Little Mermaid marked the official start of the Disney Renaissance. Released in 1989, it became a critical and commercial smash, reinvigorating the studio's animation division. The film's captivating storytelling, memorable characters, and a soundtrack of bright, catchy songs brought Disney animation back into the limelight. It was followed by Beauty and the Beast, which became the first animated film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. After that came Aladdin and The Lion King. Both films became massive box office hits and cultural phenomena. While 1995's Pocahontas was financially successful and won two Academy Awards, it signaled something of a decline in the Disney Renaissance. The film received mixed critical reception and faced criticism for historical inaccuracies. Subsequent films like The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Hercules received mixed reviews and comparatively lower box office returns. The Disney Renaissance was a transformative period for feature animation, with a series of critically acclaimed and commercially successful films. It revived the studio's reputation and set the stage for the continued success of Disney animated films for years to come. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Brother Bear. Mm -hmm. So, what exactly was the controversy regarding Disney's The Little Mermaid in 1989? Well, it was all about the advertising. For over 50 years, Walt Disney has turned classic stories into classic animated motion pictures. Now, the tradition continues with the story of the little mermaid who dreamed of becoming human. Human stuff, huh? You lost your senses completely. It's a holiday entertainment event filled with adventure, magic, and dozens of unforgettable new characters. It's an all-new Disney classic your family won't want to miss. Only in theaters, it's The Little Mermaid, rated G. Now playing at a theater near you. controversy centered around a specific piece of promotional artwork used in the film's original VHS cassette tape cover. The controversy was related to an alleged hidden image that some people claimed to see on the cover. It stemmed from a scene in the film where the character of King Triton, Ariel's father, emerges from the water. In the original VHS cover artwork, there is a castle in the background and a spire on the castle uh, resembles a shape that some viewers believe to look like a phallic symbol. Yeah. Now, reports of the alleged hidden image began to circulate and some pesky parents expressed concern that the oddly shaped shaft was inappropriate. 
Rumors began circulating shortly after the release of the video cassette that the uh, fishy phallus had been deliberately drawn as a last act of defiance by a disgruntled Disney artist who was annoyed at being told that he would be laid off at the conclusion of the project. Well, that rumor turned out to be patently false. In 1998, the renowned internet debunking website Snopes.com went right to the source to address the rumors. They say the artist, who, by the way, did not work directly for Disney, claimed that the artwork was rushed, and they hurried through the details and inadvertently drew the offending spire. But is that what really happened? Well, there's a different version of this story, one that gives some more detail and clears up some inconsistencies. On Valentine's Day 2019, Disney artist and Little Mermaid animator Dave Woodman gave his version of what happened on Instagram. It turns out that the artist responsible for the artwork was a man named Ron Diaz. According to Woodman, Diaz was commissioned to do the artwork at the last minute and had to pull an all-nighter to finish it in time. Now that part tracks with the Snopes article, which, by the way, did not name Diaz as the artist. But here's the interesting part. Diaz was feeling a bit sleep-deprived and decided to add a little inside joke to the artwork. You know, just for himself. But when he looked at it again, the following Monday, he realized that his joke was not subtle at all. Now here's where it gets even crazier. Diaz didn't have time to fix it because he had a meeting with Disney at 10 a.m. that same day. Now, feeling guilty about sneaking in his little genital joke, Diaz pointed out the offending organ to his contact in production and offered to revise it for free. The production person said the executives would review it in the afternoon and let him know about any changes that would need to be made. A week went by, and Diaz started to worry. He followed up with the production person, and guess what? He was told that the cover had been approved anyway. Diaz shrugged it off and said, well, if they don't care, I guess I don't either. Surprisingly, Disney was actually happy with his work and even gave him the lead stylist job on the Little Mermaid animated TV show. Now, Diaz Castle artwork was used in most of the promotional materials and posters during the movie's theatrical release, and then eventually the home video cover. And that's when complaints started pouring in about the tower. And that's also when they decided to replace Diaz's original artwork with a uh, more kid-friendly version. Sadly, Diaz passed away in 2013 at the age of 76. Woodman mentioned in a comment that Diaz was too afraid to take credit for his work while he was alive. And it's a shame he couldn't see the impact his artwork had on the cultural, um, glandscape.
1990, the controversy gained significant media attention, and there were calls for Disney to address the issue. In response, the House of Mouse apologized for any offense caused and immediately recalled the VHS covers, replacing them with a modified version without the, you know. Now, it is worth noting that the controversy surrounding the VHS cover did not affect the overall success of The Little Mermaid in any way. The film went on to be a critical and commercial success, contributing significantly to the Disney Renaissance and solidifying its place as a beloved animated classic. So what about those early VHS tapes that had the artwork? Well, you can find them on auction sites with wildly varying prices. And when I say wildly, I mean from as low as 10 bucks to, and I kid you not, $30,000 for a copy with its original unopened shrink-wrapped packaging. Makes you wonder if Ariel herself has a copy somewhere in her grotto of who's its and what's its galore. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes available on almost all podcast providers and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. If you like what you hear, please write a review. We'd love to know what you think. Or you can drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those and our awesome t-shirt store in the bio of our Instagram page. All clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Microcast is part of the Deep Dive Podcast family and a production of Automaton Studios.